This podcast is part of the TrekSphere network. To find more Star Trek-related content, visit treksphere.com. I knew that there was a Star Wars moment in Star Trek. I knew that there were multiple ones. Um, and I was like, I, I said the R2-D2 in the Abramsverse doesn't count. And then somebody else was like, wasn't the Millennium Falcon at Wolf 359? I'm like, guys, like. <laughs> was it? Yeah. It's in first contact. Oh. I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's just in the battlefield. You know, obviously, like, the camera's not on him. Han Solo isn't isn't like, let's punch you, Chewie. (laughs) That would be a step too far. (laughs) That's just ridiculous. I didn't know that. I didn't know that that Star Trek did that. I thought that was just a, I don't know, a satire thing that you did. Right, yeah. Oops, wrong universe. Right. Well, you know, in all the Spielberg movies, there's always an R2-D2. Like, there's an R2-D2 somewhere in Raiders of the Lost Ark and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Not the actual. It's like a drawing of it. Right. Like they don't walk by in the background. Right, right. <laughs> Although, do they? Well, no, and that's what I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to think of a time where there's something from Star Trek that was in Star Wars, you know, and I... Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess both. You know, I was trying to think of like what the most Star Trek thing is in Star Wars and what the most Star Wars thing is in Star Trek. Um, and just n- after people made those two comments, I was trying to think if there was any time where Star Trek made a cameo in Star Wars, and I can't think of one. I can't think of one either. But I'm not like I'm not the type of fan to go through these things with a fine tooth comb. Right. I just kind of right. watch them, and I just can't imagine myself ever watching any of the original trilogy of Star Wars ever again. I've seen it so many goddamn times that it's just not a movie anymore. Nah, you're going to watch it with your kid. Yeah, but I'm not – that's different though. I'm also going to watch a lot of Winnie the Pooh. Right. I'm going to be doing a lot of revisiting of those things too. Yeah. But I would think like – just to answer that question earnestly, I would think that the hyperspace is the most Star Trek thing in Star Wars or you know, hyperdrive. Yeah. But even even – yes, you're right. That's That's probably like – the most Star Trek thing in Star Wars. But even that, I don't know if you've seen the the meme about that, you know, like the Han is like, we got to get out of here, you know, put it in a hyper hyperdrive. And Kirk is like, that's cute. Let's give him a few minutes and then follow it. War factor six. <laughs> right. Well, and that the idea that there are two engines on the millennium Falcon Falcon, right. There's regular engines and there's hyperdrive. It's not just one engine that gets you from place to place. That's very Star Trek. Right, right. right. They, have imp- they have impulse engines and then they have the hyperdrive. What do they call it? Warp drive. <laughs> <laughs> I do like, though, the Facebook comment of people bitching and moaning about the most recent content. <laughs> right, right. That's the most thing. Yeah, that's definitely the most... <laughs> Star Wars thing in Star Trek. That's the characteristic they both share, one hundred percent. Yeah, because it's so true. Is there anything else? What is the what's something in Star Trek that is very Star Warsian? You said the breed. Certainly in this past Strange New Worlds. What is the well? Just just the way that they're portrayed feels very the Gorn guy villain. The Born, yeah, not the Breen, the Born. The Gorn. <laughs> Whatever. Right. What is this, a Star Trek show? That was good. <laughs> that was a, really nailed that landing. <laughs> well, watch it. Wait, wait until editing. It's going to be exquisite. Right.
throw some hard hard hats on. <laughs> Still under construction. Yeah. As you know, this is the measurement episode where it is our continuing mission to explore what makes Star Trek proper Star Trek and not just a deluge of Easter eggs and nostalgia. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Paul, and the criteria by which we judge these episodes, number one, is there science fiction inherent to the plot? Is it explored in the plot? Number two, is that science fiction unique or novel in some way? And number three, is there a moral or ethical dilemma in the episode? I'm Paul. And I'm Jonathan. And this week, we hit the ground running with Lower Decks. Starting the third season, we watched season three, episode one, the only one so far, Grounded. Mariner enlists her friends on a rogue mission to exonerate her mother as Captain Freeman faces a military tribunal for the destruction of Pakled Planet. That's weird. Oh, is it is it destruction of Pakled Planet? It's not destruction of the Pakled Planet. It's not, and it's not destruction on of planet Pakled. Right. Right. Yeah. On purpose. So actually, this is a little bit also of Lower Deck Season 2, Episode 10, First Contact, because... Oh, that's right. Yeah, having ended on a cliffhanger, we wanted to yeah make sure yeah. that we knew what was happening. Yep. Yeah, and they kind of are blending together for me a little bit. So I will say that I think I enjoyed Grounded better. Oh for yeah. Some reason. Maybe because season two, the season two closer was a culmination of the entire season, perhaps that I just wasn't getting in right. some way. Versus a new season, a blank slate, even though it is a continuation of First Contact. But what's interesting is that. Even though First Contact is called First Contact, there were so many more First Contact Easter eggs in – not even Easter eggs, just references. Oh, you're over, right. Over, that they should have been switched. Yeah. Especially was- because the whole plot of – or the whole MacGuffin of First Contact was that there was going to be a spaceship that was going to be running into the ground. Right. So oh, so grounded. Right. So they should have been – right. Reversed. Uh It'd be kind of interesting if they continued that with these titles because Grounded is also the name of a Star Trek The Next Generation novel. And so it'd be funny if the next episode had nods and allusions to that novel. Wait, did you just know that? No. Or is this? Oh. In my research. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We can I mean, still be friends. <laughs> I was going to say, you could leave that part out and make me sound super <laughs> nerdy. Um <laughs> No, the the only the only novel that I read was Imzadi, and I want to say like I, I mean clearly since you're not saying anything, it wasn't you, but I was I was gonna say either you or Ben, um, lent it lent it to me back in high school. Um, no, it wasn't me. I actually did not get really into Star Trek until my twenties. Oh, really? Okay. Not really. I mean, I watched it, but I wasn't super into it until but then. So didn't I go to a Star Trek convention with you? We may have gone, but I was – it wasn't some – like it was very just sort of whatever to me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think I liked the movies and I just – you know, it wasn't something that I was like gung-ho, like I had drank the Kool-Aid. Right. Right. And as opposed to now. Where <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listeners, you can't see it, but since we're Skyping, I can see that Paul is like full-on decked out in his Klingon outfit. Right. Yeah. Actually, what, it's what, what I be, do when I get ready in the morning. Right. I'm trying to think, like, what would be even better? Uh, Gorn? <laughs> you do the I whole know, that might be podcast. too obscure. It's Not too anymore. Obscure. Uh, but just the idea of, like, you doing this podcast where nobody's going to see you in some kind of ridiculous makeup-heavy 
Star Trek outfit. Like that brings a story to mind. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to make it in the podcast, but I've come to a couple of your Halloween parties back in the day. Yes. And your brothers would sometimes pick come. like the deepest cuts, the most obscure. They things. pick the deepest cuts and it, it brings like, and of course, when you ask what they are, they, you know, haughtily say like, you don't know who I am. Right. Right. <laughs> and I don't even want to try and make something up what they would say to me. Uh-huh. Just words strung no. together. I, yeah. <laughs> right. And I like, I want to ask you, first of all, did you condone this? Do you condone this behavior? Second of all, isn't the point of Halloween, isn't the whole point that you dress up is for people to recognize what you are? Like if you, mm-hmm. if you went as something that people don't recognize, then what's, what, what are we doing here? Right. Right. Like the most fun is when it's like a reference of some kind that everybody can pinpoint, you know. See, so I, what is I, the point? Right. I I see it both ways because like, yes, you can do the low hanging fruit and just do something that everybody's going to recognize and be like, oh, cool. Nice costume. But it's so much nicer when you do have those deep cuts and you have those like four people through the night where they're like, oh, you're blah, blah, blah. That's awesome. Yeah, except that didn't happen. Right, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe it did after my party. You know, maybe he went out with his friends and they were like, that's an amazing costume. I don't know. If, to me, that is not as satisfying as, I mean, I think that you can be creative with the, the, I mean, people are not idiots. They don't just know who Han Solo and Harry Potter are. Right. right? There's a lot of things that people know and doing them creatively. Well, there's two types of Halloween costumes. Mm-hmm. There's the one that is super authentic. Like the Batman, where they spent all a year sourcing all of the products right. so they can make it look exactly like the Christopher Nolan Batman. Mm-hmm. There's that kind, right? Yeah. Those are – I feel like they're, those are less cool than the ones where they're like mashups uh-huh. or not deep cuts in the sense like if you were to take just a, a random character from Harry Potter that everybody knows but would never think to make a costume out of, mm-hmm. that's like – I feel like the best – expression of a halloween costume because it's a deep cut that everybody can get because i i still see no reason to have a character from a cartoon show that had a three episode run but i think it's also you know especially if you're going to a party like it helps you recognize who you would actually enjoy talking to i guess that's true it's a way to signal that i am this type of person yeah like will probably be bored talking to me (laughs) No, you 100 – right. Like either you will be bored talking to me because you don't get my costume and we're not going to be able to have much in common or you will absolutely be able to talk to me because you have seen the same things I have. Uh, but anyway, we digress. What were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about – First contact. How did we get yeah, out of that? Well, we were talking about Imzadi, like the Star Trek novels and how we got there. So I want to know what do you think of this show? I enjoy whole? it. I enjoy it so much. I think that, um, I think it's being a car. Well, comparing it to Star Trek, the animated series, it definitely moves faster. (laughs) Um, yeah, but being 30 minutes, I appreciate that they can still pack in a good chunk of story just because of how fast the dialogue pacing is. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not so fast where it's, it's joke after joke after joke and you can't follow what's happening, 
but also the the references are layered enough that you can go back and watch the episode and catch things that you missed the first time. Yeah, that's what I like about the the show now. I feel like when we first watched it, my complaint was that it feels like just a very very jokey joke animation. Yeah. Uh, where it's the setting is Star Trek, but it's just a jokey joke type of show. Mm-hmm. Not really the case for these last two episodes. Yeah. That it was more story-based and the jokes were there and I thought that they were funny, but they were peripheral. Right. And the scenes weren't engineered around the joke. Yeah. What was what was great for me was they didn't <laughs> – just talking about that, just to highlight it a little bit. Um, the scene where they were at Cisco's Cafe – or Cisco's Kitchen or whatever, Creel's Kitchen, uh, right. Cisco, Cisco's Creel Kitchen. Um, and Boimler puts a little bit of the sauce on his dish, just a little bit. And he's like coughing and crying. Right. He's miserable. Yeah. And they don't make any reference to the fact that Mariner dumps a bunch of it on her on her bowl. Well, half the scene is her dumping it into her bowl. like, And she's doing it kind of absentmindedly, and you're like waiting for her to take a bite. Yeah. And you, you're wondering what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. And they, you know, and like you kind of, you, you know, it's going to go one of two ways. And especially with the scene ending, like it, it kind of defaulted into the one that they did. But it was still just timed and presented just right, you know, where she's like, hmm, it's got a bit of a kick to it. Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> the problem with that kind of gag is I don't remember what that scene's about because I was just watching. I was just waiting. I was right. waiting for the scene to be done so I can see what the joke was. That's true too, yeah, yeah. But what's funny about, like, what's funny about you mentioning that is, you know, yes, that's what you were watching, but the scene was – they were downplaying it. You know, nobody was commenting on how much she was putting on, you know? Right. The other characters weren't just sort of like wincing at how much stuff. And they weren't saying like, are you sure you want to put that much hot sauce? You know, like, yeah, it wasn't about that. It was just window dressing. Right. Right. But we were completely distracted by it. Cause you're right. I don't remember what they were talking about. I don't about. remember what the scene was about. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about her for a second. What's her name? Be- Mar- Becker. Yeah, Beckett Mariner. Yeah. Beckett Mariner. That's a good, I wonder if that's a, that's a Waterworld reference in some weird way. Because <laughs> Kevin Costner was called the, the Mariner. Right. I'm sure I'm the first person to realize this on the internet. <laughs> I wonder if his actual name was Beckett. Like, but... <laughs> Just some weird name. Yeah. Before he was a fish, he was a salesman. <laughs> he was a, a sushi utensil right. salesman. Yeah. Um, you miss sushi? Is that what that was? No, called? that movie. Oh. Like... Oh, Waterworld? Yeah. It's got a, the first half is great. It's actually like everybody bitches about that movie, but I actually think it's a pretty good movie. I just the, – the evolution of Kevin Costner, that's the part that like irritates me. I wonder – I want to know, was he Robin Hood before he was the Mariner? Yes. I mean direct like back-to-back. Oh, that I don't know. I, I feel know. like yes. Like Waterworld yeah. was his like demise. 93, 92, 93. Yeah. Before that, he was the man with the golden touch. Everything he did was fantastic. I think Robin Hood was kind of like where people went and they enjoyed the story and they went to see Kevin Costner, but it wasn't like Kevin Costner was amazing in that. Well, I feel like he's the he's the best actor for a Robin Hood type of thing where he wasn't supposed to carry the movie because the movie is so well done. Right. It rides that line perfectly of being a popcorn movie. And also kind of being dark and mm-hmm. and oh, at yeah. times and, yeah and and sort of a bit kind of highlighting how miserable it must have been to live in that time frame right right truly miserable but then Waterworld happened and it was just bloated 
And I think because it spent so much money, everybody that it, it was forever kind of marked as the flop, but right. I think it made all its money back and oh. it's actually a really well-made movie. Mm-hmm. There's all this trivia about Kevin Costner taking over for the original director, etc. But all those shots with stuff on water, like I think people don't realize how difficult it is to shoot a movie on water, especially ocean water, because everything moves. Right, right. And, you know, and there's land nearby, so you have to shoot it, where, you know, toward the ocean. Right. And it's like this big, to, that's why it costs so much money. Mm-hmm. And if you watch it, there's all these like sweeping epic shots, and it's it's so f- entertaining. Whatever, the Mariner is supposed to be this kind of grumpy guy without any kind of personality, which is perfect for Kevin Costner. Right. Exactly. Like he played it, he played it well. And I don't know. I I enjoy, I mean, it gets goofy Mm -hmm. with what's the bad guy with one eye. Dennis Hopper. Yeah. 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 Whatever. How did we get onto that? You were talking about Beckett Mariner. Right. Let's talk about her for a second. So I feel like, especially in this episode, she's very unlikable kind of the way that we were talking about in prodigy, how the main character is just unlikable. Mm -hmm. They give him a lot of traits that aren't redeemed really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way in the last two episodes that I watched about her, where all she does is bulldoze her way through to to get what she wants. Now, maybe you could argue that what she wants is virtuous, but she kind of steamrolls through everybody to the point of violence to get what she wants. Yeah. And that never really lets up. And then we're supposed to kind of understand when she breaks down into tears that I'm just really scared for my mom. Right. After she's punched everybody, stolen a ship, and betrayed a bunch of people. I feel like we're all smart people. We don't have to bulldoze our way through everything. Right. That eventually doesn't work. And then she's redeemed because she's crying on the ground eventually. I don't know. It just didn't like, did that happen for you? It just didn't like work for me. I just, I I was brought out of it. Like I never really sympathized with her. Sure. Well, so yes, it worked for me because I've, I've seen all of season one. Um, and so I know, I think I know more about her character than you do, but also like regardless of whether or not it stuck for you, it's still the, the writer's tried to give her that redemption which the writers did not do for doll on prodigy (laughs) (laughs) right um but yeah like i knowing where her behavior comes from and then having her open up like that to her friends which she hasn't really done before um i i wouldn't say it was a redemption it was more that I I recognized why she was doing what she was doing through the episode, and that was honestly it was more her telling what the audience already knew. For me, okay, yeah, could be just me not knowing the character well. It's just the whole time she was this way, right, right, and she was single-minded, narrow-minded, and unwilling, unmovable, mm-hmm. and unwilling to listen to anybody else, right. And so. I just I don't know, I, when when characters are that one dimensional for that long, I tend to check out. Sure, bit. and that makes sense. Um, but it, it, again, like I feel like I feel like it was understandable, especially when she said, "You know, for you guys, it's a captain, but for me, it's my mom." You know, and like that that moment was like, okay, that's that's why you are being so stubborn and and one single minded on this. But to the point of frantic stupidity. 
That's the problem I have with it. Like maybe that's my problem is that she was not being the smartest she could be. Right. Well, and I again, I think that was intentional because it was her mom. Like she's just doing like she's she's making irrational, stupid decisions because she's just trying to think of what she can do to save her mom. Not not thinking about like she's not thinking through the consequences and not thinking through that she has like a robot for a friend who's super smart <laughs> and. Right. Like, why don't we why don't we take five minutes and maybe brainstorm some ideas on how to how to fix this problem with my mom as opposed to just oh, I, num- number one idea. Let's go steal the Cerritos. Right. You know, I don't know. I know it's a cartoon, but it is a Star Trek show. Yeah. And uh, we cannot let our guard down. Not even for this. Right. Not even for a moment. Yeah. But I love that the pack lids are sort of the arch enemy of <laughs> of this show. Right. They seem to be making an appearance all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially in the, <laughs> almost in every the, episode we've seen. Yeah, season closers. I'm guessing that's why. Yeah. Um, I like it. We didn't see any pack leads themselves, though. No. This. I feel like it was Easter eggs just for the sake of Easter eggs. Um, having that, like, what do you call it? Where it's it's just still shots. You know, it's not a montage. Is it a collage? Um, it's a collage. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was actually really well conceived. It told the story to me. It it did, but like they they had two people who are actively engaged in either Paramount or Star Trek. Um the first was the captain, I forget his name, uh, but that's um Frasier. It's Kelsey Grammer from Cause and Effect. Right? No, not Cause and Effect. Um Yeah, Cause and Effect. Is it Cause and Effect? Okay. Yeah. Uh and then it was Tuvok, you know, and like Tuvok is active in Star Trek. He does everything for Star Trek. And so the fact that they didn't do like even just a quick flashback scene where they had like one line of dialogue, it would have been fun to to hear those voices in those characters again. Maybe they did and they ran out of time. It's very possible. Yeah. Those could all be frames from, from the actual. Right. From yeah. the deleted scenes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. In which case, you know, it's just it's. It's too bad. Yeah, it's acceptable, but it's frustrating that you know they that's what they decided to cut. Now I want to know. You've seen more of the show than I have. Are the references this compact, or are, have because I've only seen the season closers and season openers? Is it is do they ramp those up for those types of episodes? I don't because right. there's like a there's like a bunch like the the Cisco's restaurant. I'm guessing that Admiral Buen Amigo is is a yeah, Day and they player? yeah, and they did they did a little bit of a wink to the audience to like try to let them know who it was. She's the one who spilled coffee on Picard. No, do you not Spill. know? Okay. Oh yeah, okay. that's the no. Well, Admiral Bueno Buen Amigo is just somebody he talks to. Oh oh oh, sorry speak. sorry. Right, no no, I'm talking about Captain. I Gomez. thought it was yeah yeah Captain Gomez. Right, yeah. I remember. I actually in the back of my mind, I was like, am I just thinking of Selena Gomez? <laughs> and that's why it sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, no, you're thinking of Gomez Adams. <laughs> That's what it was. Right. But Admiral Buen Amigo, I just thought was a hilarious name. Yeah. And right. I don't know if it was friend. making fun right. of something or if it was just a hilarious name. And yeah. That's just the end of it. Yeah. But they had the whole Picard gag where, where Boimler turned out to be the person at, and who works at the vineyard. <laughs> at a, right. Right. At the vineyard. But he's got the Picard hat on. Yeah. And he's kind of like hunched over and he's like, you know, you're like, oh, is Picard going to be in this show? Right. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I like, you know, later on, he's like, we make fucking raisins. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this whole side thing where 
all of the the women who work at the vineyard are hitting on him or trying to like have sex with him yeah. and he's just totally dismissive and and oblivious to it right not having any of it yeah yeah and i don't know if that's because he's already had sex with all of them oh that's a good question or if he's oblivious to their right you know i i i assumed it was because he does not like being there he's just completely oblivious to it <laughs> right and we should talk about I mean, even though the whole internet is probably talking about all the first contact stuff. Uh-huh. Um, they got James Cromwell. Right. Bravo. Yeah. Yeah. Bravo. Maybe that's why they couldn't afford Tubac. Right. Yeah. Tim Russell and Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. <laughs> Budget had to go uh, somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but he did a good job. Didn't seem to phone it in. Sounded like Zephyr and Cochran. Right. Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. It gave me what I wanted. Well, and <laughs> I, know? I loved what he said, you know, like be sure to keep your hands and legs inside the ride and like, yeah, all your food and drink needs to be finished before coming on board or something like that. <laughs> and they all start downing their snacks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was good. And so something that people probably didn't, or a lot of people may not have recognized was the music which was all like when they go down to montana mm-hmm. they've got disneyland there yeah that all the music is from first contact right well and the thing that i also liked too was like jordy doesn't talk about what's around the statue in first contact you know <laughs> like right <laughs> that's true so i love that they put the statue there you know and he's like you're kind of standing like this with your arm up like looking off into the future <laughs> He's like, yeah, and there's this great ride. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they turned it into a great ride. Yeah, it's pretty great. And I, I, it's funny because they were able to basically redo the scene from First Contact because it's a ride, right? I mean, that doesn't happen very often <laughs> when you're doing cameos like that. So it was, I don't know, it was, it was funny. It was, it wasn't sort of groany like Picard references are. Just like okay, right. let's just get through this one. You know, it was like they they put their spin on it, which I appreciated. Yeah, yeah. right. Like it was it, it was done in a way where it was definitely like a wink to the audience, but it was more of just kind of like that subtle wink rather than a eh, eh this is what we're doing. Right, <laughs> right. I think they can't do that because then that's all the show would be. Right, right. Because there are so many references in it. If they called attention to every single one. Yeah, it would be two and a half hour episodes, right? Well, and kind of what's what's interesting about this episode versus uh, like the season of Picard, it was you know it was a goose chase where they had to go to point A to point B to point C, but they were figuring out how to get there rather than reacting to what was happening around them. You know, like they they couldn't warp or they couldn't teleport, so they had to use a ship, and there weren't any ships flying except for. This one in Bozeman, Montana, where they wanted, they were trying to get to anyway. Right. You know, it was just, it was, it was excellent writing of the story on actively getting them from point A to point B rather than moving there because that's what the plot says they had to go. And I liked that they were moving. There were a lot of locations. Yeah. I liked that it was very, it moved ahead quite a bit. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it had a, a lot of pacing to it, which I appreciated. And, in terms of references, of course, I'm sure everybody noticed this, but I particularly enjoyed it, which was when somebody says it was a classic Pac-Led Samaritan snare, which, of course, is the inaugural Pac-Led Next Gen episode title. Right. Yeah. Which I loved. Yeah. 
because it flies by. Right. You know? it, right. I, I liked, I guess that's what I like about references, that they fly by. Yeah. If you spend any time at all, I'm going to be pissed. Right. Um, did you see the, the ticker underneath, like uh, underneath the news? I tried to read it, but I, I was trying to also absorb what was being said. And so I stopped right. reading it. What did what it say? Uh, they just had Admiral Jellico in there. Um, and they had Sonny from uh, the Neutral Zone episode, the, um, the folksy like, country singer. Oh, he! Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, um, I forget what it said about him, but yeah. The, so, are all the episodes like this, where I, it's just jam packed full of stuff like that? I don't think so. Like, I, I feel like I feel like the first season was a little bit more um, nodding to the audience, like, "Hey, this you know, this is what you're going to get." But I don't remember it being as packed and as throwaway. As this was. Right. Well, I guess I should watch the show. Right. <laughs> and you will. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So jumping backward, I know we're not talking about this episode, but talking about the season closer of, of season okay. two. Okay. Yeah. Called First Contact. Strangely. <laughs> like, did they know this going into it that all of the First Contact references would be in the next episode? Anyway, it's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about, two things. First, so the whole uh, premise is that they need to get through this storm of de- radioactive debris, and their solution is to remove the deck plating. Right, the magnetic plate, yeah. And then turn off all of their systems. Right. And it felt very booby trap to me. Oh, totally. And so I was wondering, was that actually a reference to booby trap, or was this just the random episode generator having some fun again? Because, I mean, the the... Scenario was the same, right? Effectively, yeah. Um, no, down the, to the to down to the joystick, right? I mean, it's it's probably a reference in that regard, but I I think that's as far as the reference goes. Like, we are going to use this technology in this episode because it's been used before. Not we're going to do this as a callback to Booby Trap. Got it. So, if we asked the writers, they would say like, "What are you talking about? What what's that?" No, they. I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think they would say, like, yes, we had him use a joystick because it was in booby trap. Like, and they. Well, I just meant joystick in that he's flying the ship. I think the joystick is in, like, the first episode. I don't know if it ever comes back in Next Gen. Because Riker uses. It's sort of a test that Picard does for Riker where he says, now manually dock the, the Enterprise. Right. As if that would be possible at all. Mm hmm. Have I told you how I hate it when humans drive the ship? Does that come up? I don't remember. You know when you have conversations with your wife and me? Yeah. And you can't tell by the subject matter which one it is, which one you had the conversation with? That's a joke because both of our wives would never be caught dead having a conversation about Star Trek with right, us. Right, right. So I have another observation. Okay. It was very interesting to me that it's a 2D show. Right, it's drawn 2D. However, they make it, right. it looks like it's 2D. Mm-hmm. But all of the exteriors, right, are 3D. Yeah, and they're not super crazy Pixar level 3D. No, right. In fact, they're quite kind of rudimentary mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was interesting that they chose to do it that way. And I wonder, is that just cheaper? Is it just easier to do it that way because you can make ships fairly easily and put them in in environments fairly easily. So I don't, 
Is that I, did you notice that? Has that always been the case? Uh, yeah, I mean it's in the opening theme song, so that that's always been the intention of the the animation. Well, the thing that comes to mind is that when you make a person in 3D, there's so many handles and switches and things to move to make it look lifelike, or at least to emote to a certain extent. Versus a ship just kind of is static. It either goes left or it goes right or it goes up or it goes down. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Little individual things on the ship aren't moving and being articulated. So it's just easier. Right. To make a ship, you always have it versus 2D. You have to draw it over and over and over and over again. Unless you do the He-Man thing and just reuse the same shot. Right. For, <laughs> right. Right. For 36 episodes. Yeah. Uh, by the way, how long was a season in He-Man? I feel like my one of my old buddies bought the first season of He-Man mm-hmm. on DVD mm-hmm. back when DVD was fun. And it was volume one, and there were like 36 episodes. Yeah. There and were, that was volume one. Right. There were two seasons, and each season was 65 episodes. <laughs> uh, wow. Really? Is that because they aired every day? Yeah. And because it started in syndication. So they wanted to have a full bank of episodes um, that could be used. You know, that's that's 13 weeks of content if it airs every day. <laughs> but about two and a half episodes of unique animation. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. Anyway. I, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Man, you just bursting at the seams talk about He-Man, I can tell. <laughs> 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 are you the only person in your family who loves he-man um yeah uh, yeah uh, there's nobody who like actively dislikes him but i'm the i'm the only one who's a genuine fan and like will is excited about the new new content whatever it is right right yeah. got it so proper star trek yeah i don't know i don't think i, I would argue that first contact is proper star trek i don't know if i would argue this one is right um, I don't well, remember oh, so one of the, one of the other things that I wanted to say was I I really liked that this episode was all about saving her mom and they're going through all of this stuff to save her mom, <laughs> and none of it mattered. Right. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Mattered. It, and they kind of get out of it very quickly. right. Right. It was like it was it was just it was pure lower decks antics while the real episode was going on somewhere else. <laughs> I can't remember the green girl. Uh-huh. She blue or green. She's green. Was she, was her whole crisis that she was, thought she was leaving the show, was that first contact or was that in Grounded? I that was remember. first contact. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Grounded is a proper Star Trek episode. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it is either. I, there wasn't. From the science fiction right. angle. I don't think there's right. any. There was, there was definitely the, the moral dilemma. Right. But, but yeah, like there, there wasn't anything sci-fi. So there was nothing to present in a unique or novel way. Yeah, which is fine. It was still a good episode. Yeah, it was a great episode. Yeah. I feel like I liked it a lot. Well, I think I you I, I think you really. enjoyed it more um, than the other ones because you now know what you're getting into with Lower Decks. Right. Yeah. And it didn't feel it didn't feel super animation, like generic animation right. to me. It felt a little bit more Star Trekian for some reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I was just being bombarded with Star Trek symbology. Right. Right. In reference. But uh, yeah, I liked it. Thought it was good. They can continue. <laughs> All right, I'll let them know. <laughs> yeah. And I just feel, here's what I feel sort of uh, overwhelmed by. Daunted 
if you will, that there are so many uh, references that I feel like I'm missing so much of it. And I don't think I'm going to rewatch the episode two or three times, mm-hmm. but I feel like the completest in me wants to get every, every single right. reference. Like when I would play those games where you could make choices for the main character, like Wing Commander 3, I felt like choosing one, I had this choice paralysis because I want to know what happens in both right. branches. Yeah. And, you know, the dum-dum in me when I was playing it when I was 16 was like, well, they all have to come to us. Like, there's not two stories, independent stories that branch off with each and every one, Uh right? Because that would be ridiculous and impossible to make. So the idea that they eventually kind of come around back to the same thing, I didn't really think about. But I was just so like, oh, but what if if he does kiss her? What happens then? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and there, I mean, there are some games where the choices really do not matter. You know, it's like, do you want to come with us? And you're like, no. And they go, okay, you stay here. You know, and they're like, do you want to come with us? And you say, yes. And they're like, well, it's too dangerous. You have to stay here. Right. I never knew that. I never thought about that. Like, the, I had no cynicism about anything <laughs> when I was 16. Um, but I don't know about Wing Commander 3, but there are other games that do have, you know, choices that pick, maybe it's not every single choice, but there are choices that will alter the ending. You know, and sometimes the ending is so un- insignificantly changed, you know, there's like where there's one person standing at the end instead of two, like, um, right. but, but yeah, there are, there are some games where the choices you, you make do have a very active impact on the storyline. Got it. Yeah. I loved wing commander three. <laughs> I think there was a four. Was there a four? I think there were two with Mark Hamill. I right. He was the main character. I I love the the reference we've made in a previous episode where they called Sulu to ask him a question, <laughs> and it was like Wing Commander three because he's like at the console and then he turns to look at the camera and say like his like one line and then go back to the console. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like if you well, it's that's yeah, it's that game kind of thing that happened in that around that time where you. There was a character working at a console. Right. You'd click on him, and he would say the same exact thing over and over and over and over yeah. again. And so the idea was that he just had nothing else to say. Right, right. <laughs> this character. <laughs> Not why do you keep clicking on Right. Me? Like, I just told you. I just told you the relevant information. Yeah. And it's such an easy thing to fix. Like, he'll say it three times maybe. And then the fourth time, he's like, I already said. And then say it again. And then the fifth time, he's like, <laughs> all right. I've already told you all the information. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And then you can't click on him anymore. <laughs> you can't click on him anymore. <laughs> and five is super generous with that. Right? Right. If you click on him three times, he should just get pissed and give you the finger. Right, right. But there are times where, you know, either the recording was bad or, like, you've got other things going on at home where you had to listen to it again or you were writing it down and, you know, you needed time to listen to it. I, my opinion is too bad. <laughs> Even if it's vital information, treat the character realistic. He's like, no, I'm not saying it again. <laughs> oh, well, guess you got to start over and maybe find a place you can concentrate. Uh, pack up your whole computer, take it down into the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how dedicated are right? you to learning what Sulu had to say? <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a great episode. I think the story was great. Um, obviously, you know, the the jokes are, are so much fun. Um, but But yeah. What's great is it felt longer than 22 right. minutes, which I appreciate. Like any episode, like I feel like that way about 
all the next gen, well, not all of them, some of the next gen episodes, all the really good right. ones, they seem to be greater than the sum of the parts mm-hmm. or the sum of the parts. The parts seem to be greater than the sum. Huh? Yeah. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that yep. make sense? Like when you get to 45 minutes, it feels like an hour and a half right. type yeah. thing. Um, but then there are episodes the like mark? the, the like Bem in Star Trek, the animated series that felt so busy and so long for being only 22 minutes. Like it just, <laughs> I feel like it's because there weren't a lot of locations that may have been it, but I think also the dialogue is so slow, but the scenes moving from scene to scene was so fast. And so the dialogue had to do a lot in a very short amount of time. And yeah, so it was just, you, you were plodding through what they were saying rather than you know actually being invested in the dialogue. And that, so just really quickly, yeah. because it wasn't a part of that discussion. So that episode, yeah, oh, okay. I forgot. Right, something else you wanted to add? So that super felt like to me an episode that they wanted to make, but just had no way to make it in the actual show. Absolutely. In, in live right. action. So they made it. But the problem with that is it's just a bunch of talking and exposition mm-hmm. and just weird stuff right. that they had to do it as an animation. And, and that's what we got. Right. Right. And it probably read better than it presented as an, as anything mm-hmm. visual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's probably a really good like novel or something like that. Cause it's just, there's so many things just like, well, how is he walking? How are his, how are his legs walking around? Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yes. Not a Star Trek epi- or not a proper Star Trek episode. Right. Grounded. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so we know what we're watching next. Right? Yeah. Again, there's no no need for you, random generator. You're super pissed. All right. Well, I've been Jonathan. <laughs> and I've been Paul. And this has been The Measure of an Episode. Who am I going to be? I don't really know this, this show. Right? Well, I mean, you could be Zephram Cochran. What does he sound like? He's got such a distinctive voice that I can't possibly reproduce but you already knew that that's the best i got for zephyr cochran oh okay